SR. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. A song out of the 70s rang through the country and still rings today. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried and I tried and I tried. I can't get. No satisfaction. Well, you know what? That's really the anthem of so many people today. In fact, even professing Christians. Yes, even pastors and parachurch leaders. Yeah, you would think that they were getting massive satisfaction, that everything was wonderful, everything was cool, and their relationship with the Lord is on top. But the reality is quite different they still can't get no satisfaction. But they're trying, and they're trying, and trying. In fact, they're trying so hard that the hurrier they go, the behinder they get. And that's another message coming out of the 1970s. I wonder why we didn't hear those messages coming out of the 1970s to prevent some of the problems that we're having today in our lives. Yes, as Christians. Because when we can't get any satisfaction, we have no rest. And yet the Bible says there remains a rest to the people of God. Do we have to wait until we're dead to get rest? Or should we be resting now? And what does that look like? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about overcoming spiritual fatigue. This is a very, very important subject. It's about our life. It's about your life. It's about my life. In fact, it's about the life of our guest here today, Marianne Howard. And uh, she has written this book. I'm looking at the her, her picture on the back of the book, she looks like a live wire here. Big smile, flashing eyes, a live wire, but she says, I can't get no satisfaction. I want some rest, and I want that rest to bring me closer to the Lord. Barry Ann, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, as I said, you're down there in Dallas, Texas, and that's kind of renowned as second only to uh, or third only to uh, New York and uh, perhaps Los Angeles and then Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> it's a busy place. <laughs> yeah, and you're in the Bible Belt. How can you be in the Bible Belt and still not get rest? Oh my goodness! Because we're we're overworked, underrested, and overcommitted every single day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's be honest about it. You've already confessed to me just as we were getting ready to launch the program that you have two teenage sons. And uh, that you have a doggy, and that you have a husband who's an executive pastor, and where does that leave you? Oh my goodness, busy. <laughs> well, I, I guess I, so. Are you proud of it, though? Um. I mean, are you proud to be so busy? I think that's the problem. Ultimately, <laughs> I think that's the problem. Is I think I can be too proud in my busyness. You know, we we love to be in demand, and it's a dangerous. Uh, thing to love. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that uh, when it appeared that Jesus was in the most demand, he made it a point to get away from it all. Mm-hmm. He even got away from his disciples, and he went up into the mountain to pray. He got away. He said, give me some quiet. Mm-hmm. Michael Card, a musician, Christian musician, a number of years ago, had a piece called Come to the Quiet. 
Why is it we can't get quiet? I, I think we have a, a noise addiction. I think we're, we're uncomfortable with silence. And honestly, to be honest with you, I have a noise addiction, and it's a form of avoidance. It's a spiritual avoidance because God often over and over and over in his word, he calls us to quietness and attentiveness. And silence can sometimes strike us as unimportant and uncomfortable and even threatening. Mm. I, think silence, I think silence makes room for listening, and it gives us freedom to observe. It also opens us up to the entry of peace and invites us to know our limitedness and his vastness, God's vastness. Well, maybe, maybe, Marianne, we really don't want to hear the voice of the Lord because we're afraid what he might say. Sure. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. I think we, um, you know, I, I think about the Psalm 46, verse 10, and we know it. We have it cross-stitched. We have it tattooed. We have it hanging on calendars. We have it everywhere. It says, be still and know that I'm God. Yep. But when you read that in context, to be honest with you, sir, it's, it's be still so that you can know. Mm-hmm. That I am God. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it means. It. Yeah, it's it's so that stillness helps us know that He is God. <clears throat> that's that's why He, over and over and over again, wants us to come away and and be still and be quiet, so that we can know that He is God because He's the giver of rest. That's where we get our rest to begin with. <laughs> Have you noticed, Marianne, as you were talking there, it came to my mind, my memory, that. Uh, the more professing Christians get roused up in our so-called worship services with uh, almost to an emotional orgy, mm-hmm. we pride ourselves in saying, wasn't that wonderful worship? So the greater the noise level, the greater our sense of worship when God says, be still and know that I'm God. Something isn't computing there, is it? I think as, as I have done research and just sat with the Lord myself and in quiet, and as he began to expose some areas of my heart, specifically in ministry leadership, I think our value and worth are getting attached to being in demand, and we get addicted to the need to be needed rather than the mm. need for God to move. Wow. We've become so consumed with strategy, skill, and charisma, we've stopped emphasizing the soul side of leadership. In other words, where's the need for the Holy Spirit of God that would bring us into a sense of peace when we can conjure up our own alternative? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in, in leadership narratives, whether you're parenting, working, or managing in any form or fashion, daily leading is definitely draining. And the demand to give, lead, and serve people, it can deplete us. And here's the bottom line. A depleted leader is not a healthy leader. But if we are valuing uh, being in demand and valuing charisma over character, then listen, you've pretty much marched the Holy Spirit right out of the room. Mm-mm-mm. You know, this is a very honest and uh, needful conversation. I know a lot of people might be thinking, you know, this doesn't sound like an issues-oriented program today, but it really is. In fact, it goes to the very heart of our relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So as a Christian, as a Christian uh, issues-oriented program, even a lawyer now uh, can take the lead and say, you know what, we need to get back to relationship. Everybody wants to say, well, you know, the 
the Christian life is not a religion, it's a relationship. So where is that relationship then? Where is it? <laughs> I think there's been a mentality of, um, you know, transactional relationship, and that's not Jesus. He's relational. He doesn't want it to be transactional. He wants it to be relational. And over and over and over again in Scripture, he's calling us back to himself. He's like, just drop the busyness, drop the weariness, drop the the need to be needed and, and need me and look yeah. to me and let me shepherd you. We've got to stop this pant breathing in our life, even as uh, so-called uh, ministers of the Lord. And, uh, of course, everyone who is listening today, whether they're a pastor, whether they're a parachurch leader or uh, a parent uh, or involved in business somewhere, we all are facing this very issue. This is extremely important, friends, and I hope you'll stay tuned. Make an opportunity to listen to the whole of today's program. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. I have a question for you, my friends out there. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And here's my question. Are you a human doing or a human being? Just, just thinking out loud. Are you a human doing or a human being? We have to kind of let that settle in because... Maybe we actually need sort of a pregnant silence to allow something like that to settle in. Am I a human being or a human doing? Where can I find rest? The Bible says, in fact, Jesus himself said that if we would seek him, that we would find rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest unto your soul. So here's the question that I have for you. Are you finding rest in your soul? You might say, well, that doesn't that just mean that I'm not going to be under the burden of sin? Well, to a certain extent, yes. But it also involves our being. Have you noticed? Matthew chapter 5, the be attitudes, the attitudes of being. You see... God is interested in you and me as a person. He made us in his image, which means we long for fellowship. We long for that relationship, just as Jesus longed for the relationship with his father. Even so, we are to long for the relationship with the father through Jesus. And with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so today on Viewpoint, our special guest, Marianne Howard, is bringing us with a relatively small book, but not diminished in any way in terms of its import. It's only about 140 pages, but let me tell you, it packs a life-changing wallop for you and for me. It's called Rest, Overcoming Spiritual Fatigue, and it's yours 
for $16 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. So here's another question. Mary Ann, let me ask you, if our leaders in this country were actually seeking to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, for him, uh, do you think we'd be in the mess we're in? Hmm. Oh, gosh, no. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think we have to be really clear with Scripture, and it says, Clearly in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. This is Jesus, red mm-hmm, letters. Right. Jesus saying this, come to me, all who were all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't come to say, uh, come to me, all you who are crushing it and living your best life. He also <laughs> never <laughs> He also never said strive tirelessly. He declared on the cross it is finished. And his call to come to him for his rest is for you to rest in his finished work. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that changes the whole world. And, and yet I we're think- supposed to be doers of the word. Sure. That involves doing, but it's a different level of doing. It's a a doing that uh, it's not passive, but it's right. not aggressive either. Right. It's faithful. It's a living representation of the rest and presence of God in my life today. Yes. I think, too, we've got to make sure we have a very good working theology of work and rest, because from Mm -hmm. the beginning, opening pages of the Bible, work and rest are significant. Genesis 1, God creates everything, and despite his power and perfection, God rested. And it's interesting. This is so interesting to me. It's interesting that the first thing in all of creation that is made holy is not a person or an object, but a day. Oh, now, wait a minute. Now you're starting to tread on dangerous territory because, as a matter of fact, most Christians don't like that day. I know. They don't like that day. Right there in Genesis chapter 2 or chapter 1, he says, look, uh, six days the Lord worked, and on the seventh day he rested and he did something else. He set that day apart. He sanctified that seventh day unto him. Do you know that the resistance to that understanding, that idea is so great from pulpit to pew in our life today in America that we did away with the very foundational truth of that long ago that used to be at the very foundation of life in this country. It's, it's God's created order. <laughs> and, and here's the thing that's so beautiful about it, if we would stop resisting it, but if we would lean into it and see his purpose in it, mm-hmm. he wants us to work from a place of rest not always working to a place of rest. There's a difference there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to have to repeat that. That was a profound statement. He wants us to work from a place of rest. That's why he established that first day 
to be a day that's holy, that's called Sabbath. He wants us to work from a place of rest where we're practicing disciplines for intimacy with him and we work and lead out of that. But instead, we work to it. Mm. And, (laughs) And you know, isn't that, no, wait, wait a minute, think about this. Everybody wants to talk about working for retirement. So everybody's pant breathing about retirement while they're exhausting themselves and ruining themselves in order to pursue it. It's just amazing. And somehow we have just been disconnected from our guest. I don't know, understand why. Uh, maybe the uh, pressures on the airwaves are so great that they just suppressed uh, that uh, that entrance. So we'll wait and uh, hope that she will be coming on here again soon. So I want to make available this wonderful book. Friends, this is a life-changing book. It really is. Rest. Overcoming spiritual fatigue. Overcoming spiritual fatigue. So important. Overcoming spiritual fatigue. Now, I'm going to uh, take just a moment. You're going to hear the phone, and I'm going to make an effort to get a hold of her. Because we desperately need to hear what our sister has to say. Marianne? I'm here. Oh, I don't know what happened there. That was wild. I don't know what happened there, but I I think the phone lines were not having rest. And uh, so we were stirring up the phone lines so severely there, they cut us off. And sometimes, sometimes God does that. You know, he he waits for us. He wants us to uh, come into his presence with joy and peace and rest. But if we don't, we get cut off from his presence, don't we? Right. That's right. Yeah. I think think one of the things, looking even closer at Matthew 11, you know, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's something important there. Mm-hmm. Work is intended to be in partnership with God. Rest is intended to be an invitation to enjoy intimate fellowship with him. Work in partnership, rest in his presence. I want to say that again. Work in partnership, rest in his presence. That's that calling there in Matthew 11. That's how we, that's how we live that out. That's how we live the rest that he's calling us to operate in is he wants us to work in partnership with him, with that tailor-made yoke that we're attached to. Well, no, wait a minute, sister. Aren't you preaching the doctrine of marriage? Uh, aren't you giving us uh, the foundation for a good, godly, and healthy marriage? Uh, yes, we're working in partnership, but it's not about the work. It's about right. the enjoyment of the relationship. That's right. That's right. So here you are, busy, busy, busy. Uh, a, a, an engine of uh, a, a dynamic engine. You've got a husband who is an executive pastor. Uh, where's the time for rest for you guys? Hmm. Great question. I think in terms. <laughs> I told you you were going to have a conversation. <laughs> I, I, yes, I think in terms of making sure we're fighting to feast with the Lord and we're we're working from rest and mm-hmm. not always clamoring towards it. We really work hard every morning to 
um, practice these these four S's. And I, you know, I'm not, when I talk about spiritual disciplines for intimacy, I'm not necessarily talking about reading your Bible and worship and some of those things. Those are important. And praying, those are they're vital mm-hmm. to your relationship with Jesus. But I think before we even even can do those things, we've got to practice silence, solitude, stillness, and surrender. All right. Now, how do you do that, though, when the spirit of our age is, if I ain't busy, and if I'm not recognizing that my value lies in my busyness, then how in the world can I justify or afford the time just to be still and know that he is God? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. So I have five solutions. Okay. How How do we even get to the, the disciplines for intimacy? Mm-hmm. And it's... It, Ways to fight distraction, spiritual neglect, adapting to empty, all of those things. Here are five solutions. Number okay. one, slow down. We've got to slow down. Number one, we've got to slow down. I've got a teenage driver. He's a new driver. Every time I get into his car, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. You now, that brings, up a, that brings up a song out of the past. <laughs> slow down. You move too fast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've got to slow down. He okay. Wants to slow down to his pace. All right. Slow down. Next slow one. Down. Number two, examine your habits. You've got to develop distraction reducing habits. Minimize the chirps and the dings. So, take a look at your habits and you've got to evaluate what is compromising intimacy with Christ. Is it your phone? Is it your social media? Is it. A game? Is it? What is it? What is it? Is it even your job? So examine your habits. Number three, be attentive. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Mm. This is a powerful statement that I'm going to say, and it's been very trajectory shaping for me. What you think about, you care about, and what you care about is what you're going to chase. I want to say it again. What you think about, you care about. And what you care about is what you're going to chase. So number three, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Guard your devotion. Wow. Okay. Number four, practice listening. We have to create time and space to listen. Do we even have the ears to hear and favor God, his word, and his presence? Scripture must become a more significant portion of our information diet. Mm Mm-hmm. You mean, wait, wait just a minute. Are you saying that it's not enough just to eat a a special little gospel every day? You know, a a favorite verse? No, there are too many things coming at us. Information is coming at us at the speed of light Mm -hmm. um, with the digital age. And so we, scripture, truth from God's word, it's got to fill a more significant portion of, of what we're consuming with our eyes, with our heart, with our ears. All right. And number five. Last but not least, be intentional, and it's a target with the heart in the center of it. And we, we've we got to create, we've got to fight for disciplines, spiritual disciplines that help pull the distracted parts of us back together. So we've got to make the choice to be intentional. That's our part. We've got to make a decision every single day to, distar- to starve distractions and feed our focus on Christ. I want to say that again. We've got to be intentional to starve our distractions and feed our focus on Christ. Wow. You know, these things, these five things are very, very powerful. They're simple, but they're simply profound. And uh, sometimes it's in the simplicity of things. It's it's like uh, the KISS principle, keep it simple, saints. Uh, sometimes I think we try to get so complex 
and uh, make things so theologically difficult that we can't actually be doers of the word. We can't be hearers of the word. We can't actually have a relationship with Christ because we're so busy filling that space with whatever else we're distracted with. That's right. That's right. What a powerful, what a powerful message, a powerful book, rest overcoming spiritual fatigue. And, uh, it's $16 on our website, friends. This is a life-changing book. It really is. And uh, I think you, you hear the passion of uh, Marianne as she chats together. And uh, likewise, on this end, uh, we're both in ministry in different ways. But I'll tell you, I know that I cannot do the things that I do unless I come from a position of rest. So... Before almost every broadcast, I purpose to take a minimum of 30 minutes to rest before the Lord. That's right. It's true. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. I dare say, my friends, that if we had more space, made more space for rest in relationship in our marriages, the divorce rate would go down 50%. And that would be true in Dallas, Texas, where our guest is coming from, because Dallas, Texas, the buckle of the Bible belt had a 65% divorce rate a few years ago. How do you fix that in your mind, friend? How do you figure that? You see, our refusal to rest before God and live out that spirit of rest has echoing consequences in every single area of our life. With our children, with uh, our spouses, And pastors with uh, those that we uh, are supposed to be ministering to and with. And one of the problems is, you see, Jesus chose 12 to be with him. Jesus did not have a do-it-to-you ministry, which is a hyperventilated, I got to get more out there. Jesus didn't do that. He had a do-it-with-you ministry. So there was rest in the relationship with the disciples. Marianne, I think this is so critically important. I do too. I I think a scripture that has um, really 
shaped my thinking on this, especially as a ministry leader myself. Uh, Song of Solomon 1 verse 6 says, Mm -hmm. They made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Oh, wow. What a word. What a word. And it really goes hand in hand with the illustration of when you fly and the flight attendant tells you, if you lose pressure in the cabin, be sure that you attach that oxygen mask to your face first before helping the person next to you. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. As a mother, if my baby's grasping for air, I am going (laughs) to do whatever I can to save him. But here's the thing. From a spiritual standpoint, we're not doing any good if we're not tending to our own soul's connection to God. Yeah. And so what happens a lot of times, specifically for me as a mother, is I am making sure everybody else's vineyard is thriving and growing and the boys are at church and the boys are, you know, having their devotion time and the boys are doing this and I'm driving them here and I'm doing this and I'm paying for them to go to camp and I'm making sure their vineyard is lush and green and thriving and growing. But when I finally pause long enough to look at my own vineyard, I realize there's overgrowth. The foxes have crept in Mm -mm -mm. and there's there's weeds, there's neglect there. And I will just say, um, just just some evidence of, I think a good litmus test, evidence of a resistance to rest when there's weeds overgrown in your vineyard, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking. Here's a couple things I want to bring out. Um, number one, a weary heart is malnourished. We're malnourished. We're settling for spiritual happy meals instead of for the feast that Jesus invites us to feast. Happy meals, okay. You know, and happy meals don't satisfy us. Mm-hmm. They're quick, and we and we don't even know if it's real meat, you know? So we can't settle for spiritual happy meals. We He's invited us to sit down and feast. And then number two, you know, a resistance to rest and a weary heart is distracted, mm-hmm. and we're divided. Everything around us is working against intimacy with Christ. Everything. And so we're distracted and divided, and we're pulled in a million different directions. I think third, a weary heart is arrogant. As leaders in particular, when we're when we're tired and we're building our own personal kingdoms instead of his kingdom, mm-hmm. we posture. We posture ourselves and our value and worth get attached to our work. You know what that you know, another way of looking at that, let's be honest about it. We're actually pretending to be God. We don't really need God. We're gonna do it ourselves, said the said the little red hen. Uh, I can do it myself. That's why uh, one person said we could do 90% of the work of the church as we do it today without the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Scary. Mm-mm-mm. I think the scariest thing we could, one of the scariest things that could ever happen to us is that we get so busy building our own personal kingdoms that we miss his kingdom assignment for us. Isn't it interesting, Marianne? Jesus said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. You know what we decided to do? Build churches and not make disciples. That's right. You know why that is? Because making disciples is kingdom work. Building churches is not. That's God's work. So we're trying to pretend to be God. We can do it better, Lord. And also, we can measure the results. Look at the building that I've put together. Look at this great edifice. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a very dangerous thing. Uh, the motivations of the heart are very, very dangerous and keep us from genuine rest in the Lord. And mm-hmm. the, the Bible says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Mm-hmm. Patience. 
There's no rest in impatience, is there? No, no. He remember I said this earlier. He wants us to slow down to his pace. You know, when when we look in Psalm 23, um, which I spend a lot of time that breaking that down, but in Psalm mm-hmm. 23 it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." And here's the thing: every shepherd needs a shepherd. And when you continue to keep reading through Psalm 23. When there is a frustration or a tension in our spirit, there's one thing that Psalm 23 confronts, your pace and your path, Mm. your pace and your path. And Uh so for the leaders that are listening right now, let me just challenge you to think about who is determining the pace of your life? Because I'm going to tell you this, whoever is determining the pace of your life determines who shepherds your soul. Whoa. You better repeat that, sister. Whoever determines the pace of your life is is who is shepherding your soul. So this whole idea of hurry, 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 hurry is what you're talking about, the pace of your life. And it's defining the emptiness of your soul. That's right. Mm-mm. Wow. I, and, I think another thing that points to that mm-hmm. uh, is, is, you know, when we're resisting rest and we're kind of focused on our arrogant building our own kingdoms, I think we settle into discontentment. And we often think that the grass is greener on the other side. And I live in Texas where there's tons of ranches and cattle. And mm-hmm. yeah, I always get struck where I literally stop my car when I see a cow who has this lush pasture, but he's got <laughs> his head stuck out of the gate uh-huh. and he's eating the pasture next door. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? You live in Dallas, and Dallas is renowned for the spirit of envy. I'm telling you. And the reality is, the truth is, the grass is greener where we water it. Oh. And that takes patience. You have to have patience to water where you're planted. That's right. Oh, my goodness. You know, you've got to plant and put your roots down deep by the appropriate place. I mean, Psalm 23 is clear. He, He leads us to still water and to green pastures of abundance. And so that we've got to, and he's the only one who knows where that is. The shepherd's the only one who knows where that is. Mm-mm. And so we've got to let him lead us. The shepherd, shepherds need shepherding. <laughs> we've got to read that as sheep. <laughs> Leaders, be a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you have uh, two teenagers, yes. and that's a prescription for uh, frustration. It's a prescription <laughs> for uh, eternal distraction, mm-hmm. and uh, how do you deal with that, sister? How do you do that? It's so interesting. So I, a large part of what I do in my job, I work in, in marketing, and so we do a lot of research, and I, I'm, a, I'm very much a number statistical nerd, and so mm. I spend a lot of time studying um, numbers that are altering and changing for ministry leaders, specifically mm-hmm. attached to burnout, but mm-hmm. also uh, numbers to distraction. And so I would love to share some statistics with you that are new about distraction. Uh, just as you're asking that question, number, the first one is people now lose concentration after eight seconds, which is the, the concentration of a goal. And that's why we have what is called soundbite broadcasting, which I refuse to do. And every program for 28 plus years now has been focused on one thing every day. And it's, it, we're, we're losing 
our concentration after eight seconds. And as a mother to teenagers, let me tell you, I'm fighting that on every side. Mm -hmm. Number two, men and women spend 12 hours a day consuming media, texting, social media, entertainment. Now, this this one's interesting. The average person's mind wonders 47% of the time. So half the time you're doing one thing, you're thinking about something else. And so, in other words, you have a divided heart and And mind. And let me say this, James 117, but every person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's not a a one-size-fits-all enticement. Uh Uh-huh. This one gets me, it convicts me really hard. It, It makes me angry, but I think it's very true. We tap swipe and click our device 2,617 times per day. Say that again. (laughs) And honestly, teenagers are above average in this area and are tapping it over 3,000. We tap, swipe, and click our device 2,617 times per day. Whoa. Isn't that telling? Wow. And they're only 24 hours in a day. So the problem isn't that we're, uh, uh, we don't have enough time in the day. It's how we're using the time we do have. Well, and many of us, we plug that thing in right before by our faces. And it's the first thing we grab when we wake up in the morning. Mm. It's right there. And I'll say Mark 419, beware of the cares of this world. I don't know if you're familiar with Tozier, but he had a great oh, yeah. quote about, about devotion. I mean, about distraction that, I think it's so powerful, so I'm going to read it if that's okay. Go ahead. Quote from Tozier, Among the enemies of devotion, devotion to Jesus, none is so harmful as distraction. Now, here's how he defines them. Whatever excites the curiosity, scatters the thought, disquiets the heart, absorbs the interest, or shifts your life's focus away from the kingdom of God within us to the world around us distractions must be conquered or they will conquer us that is so powerful we're going right into a break what a way to make a transition friends this book i tell you uh you've got to get a copy of the book because it is uh life giving and restoring rest overcoming spiritual fatigue 16 dollars on our website saveus.org Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Become a partner. Friends, do it today. Let's get in this together. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
What a delight it is to join you every single day here, Monday through Friday, for over 28 years to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Today, we're not talking about taxes. We're not talking about all the political stuff. We're talking about the things that matter most from God's viewpoint. You see, even all the other stuff becomes distractions. It's not that they're not important. They're just not the most important. And when we determine that that which is least important is the most important, we are distracted away from the things that God sees as most important. And I'm thinking back uh, as we were listening to the break there, and there's a, a song that uh, goes back into the time of uh, Christmas time, celebrating the Lord's birth, where, you know, Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem and there's no room. There's no room in the inn. And there was a song that came out of that understanding, and it goes like this. There is room in my heart for thee. So I want to change those words and ask it in the form of a question. Is there room in your heart for him? I'm not talking about what you say you believe. I'm talking about how you live. See, that's the thing that God's concerned about. He's not concerned just about what we say we believe. That's what... Jesus' brother James was talking about when he said, you know, don't don't talk to me all about your faith. Live it out. Show what it really looks like. And so if we go back to the days of ancient Rome, when Jesus came upon the scene and the disciples passed through the various uh, areas of the Roman Empire, what was it ultimately that changed the Roman Empire? It was these words from the church as they lived out the being, not the doing so much, but the being that was reflected in, yes, the things that they did, but their relationship says, behold how they love one another. In our culture today, it's very hard to find time to love anybody. Not really. Because it's all about me all about me. And if it's all about me, how can it possibly be about thee or even God himself? This is what we're dealing with in the reality of our life today. And uh, Marianne, if we're on the near edge of the second coming, it seems to me that this would be even more important because Jesus is not coming back for a bride with spot wrinkle or any such thing, or that doesn't want to have anything to do with spending time with him. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm reminded of just the passage in Psalm 62, verse 5, that says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Mm-hmm. My hope comes from Him. And, you know, just as you were saying, you know, those words, I, we cannot love like Jesus without offering others our unhurried, undistracted, attentive regard. And I'm going to tell you, it's compromising the gospel. When we're so distracted and divided, it compromises how we're present. And that is... That in America, that is, we have to earn the right to be heard with the gospel here. And so when when we're busy and checking our phone every two seconds, we miss the needs of those around us because we're so distracted, divided, and in a hurry. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. And this, this attitude spreads everywhere. 
for instance, uh, one of the things that I, I'm frequently asked is, well, how many listeners do you have? And I stand, stand there kind of open-mouthed, and I said, why do you ask that question? I'm doing what God asked me to do. He's responsible for the listeners. I'm responsible to deliver the message. Why are you asking that question? And the reason they're asking the question is because they have this mindset that I'm supposed to be the one that's fulfilling all the purpose out there. That's God's business. Right. I have to rest in doing what God asked me to do. You have to rest in doing what God asks you to do, right? Right. right. And if I don't, then I'm going to get all caught up in actually becoming a surrogate God. Mm-hmm. This is very troubling. Yeah. I think that's why, and that, that's one of the things that I... I think it's important, and I think my heart and my hope, even for today's conversation, is that we would confess our need for him and think about the lives we're living and what's driving us. You know, I when I speak to ministry leaders and travel the country and work them, I work through a roadmap through burnout. And the number one pin drop on this roadmap that I've created is, it's the uh, medical cross thing of like, I need medical care. <laughs> but, but the statement there is confess your need for him. And here's what scripture says in Psalm 73. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To the left of the but God is hopeless, burnout, fatigue, us going our own way. My heart and my flesh are failing. Mm. They are going to fail you. But God, but God, to the right of the but God is your purpose and your hope, and it's He is the strength of your heart and yeah. your purpose forever. That's the that's the number one how we move through burnout and fatigue and move towards living out resting biblically. It starts with a confession of your need for God. Mm. Again, it reminds me of another song, a classic coming out of the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth as uh, the announcement of Christ and John the Baptist and all of that is set forth there. The words come out, my soul and body crieth out, yea for the living, yea for the living God. My soul and body crieth out, Mm. yea for the living, yea for the living God. Mm. I wonder how many Christians actually with depth of integrity, really are crying that out. I just wonder. I wonder. Is your soul and body crying out, my friend? Is it? Now, I want to share something with you very briefly here as we wrap up. Uh... My wife, we've been married 57 years as of the end of this week. And uh, as a result of that, uh, during all of those years, there was a, a long period of time when Kathy would say to me, Chuck, you're, you're not listening. I, I, I feel like we're not, we're not really together. We're doing all these things, and we're running a family and doing all this stuff, but I don't feel together 
And for a long time, I couldn't quite gather what she was talking about. So I want to tell you how we resolve that. I want to tell you how we resolve the idea that when my wife came to me, remember, now we've been married 57 years as of the end of this week. But about 25 years ago, she came to me and she said, Chuck, I just, you know, I, I, I feel like you're not listening. I feel like we're just really not together in all the things that we're doing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, son, I want you to do something you've never done before. I want you to get together with your wife every morning. And you're going to set this intentionally. And you're going to get together first thing every day. You're going to prepare the coffee ahead of time so it's all ready to go. There isn't anything that's going to distract you. And you're going to get together with your wife, and you're going to spend quality time in the Word every single morning without fail, without fail before you do anything else. And that's what we've been doing for probably close to 25 years now. Do you know what happened? Here's what actually happened. My wife, Kathy, began to feel like we were actually doing the things. We were human beings, spiritually united, in relationship, and she said it's the most important, the most powerful thing that we have ever, ever done together. And do you know? We do it daily. We do it when we're on vacation. If I have to be out uh Somewhere else, if I were speaking or something like that, we do it by telephone. But we make sure that it's the most important thing. So we're not distracted. So let's try to import that somehow into our understanding. Not being distracted. As I said, spending quality time with Kathy every single morning for 25 years. First thing we ever do. In the Word, praying and applying it, talking together. Can you imagine what would happen if we were doing that also with the Lord? You see, these things have to work together. Our relationship with our spouse has to work together with our relationship with our husband, our wife, and the other people around us. So, here's the question. Is your life completely distracted? Are you distracted by this, that, or the other thing? Are there so many other things that are pressing upon you? And, you know, it's just, as that bumper sticker back in the 70s said, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Life is frustrating, unfulfilling. And then again, you claim to be walking with the Lord, but not so much. You're walking with yourself, and you're walking with your distractions, and you're walking with all of these other things. Is there a place in your life for peace? Really? Some people ask me, Chuck, it seems like you're so busy. You're just so busy. And I said, no, I'm not that busy. I leave open spaces throughout my day to be able to chat with people, to be able to be with people, to be able to listen to be able to hear from God. Some people say, well, how do you write these books? You've written 
10 books. I'm writing an 11th now. How do you, how do, you do that? How, well, here's how. I don't try to do it just to write a book. I'm not interested in production. I'm interested in hearing the voice of the Lord and responding. So I tell people, I don't write from perspiration. I write from inspiration. When you write from inspiration, there's there's no pressure. I'm not writing to please a publisher. I'm writing to hear from God and communicate what's on his heart for his people. And the timeliness of it is his. I don't have to keep a publisher's agenda. That's how most writing is done, from a publisher's agenda. And so we get all frustrated and all antsy, and we got to do this, and the pressure is mounting. No. Be still. Know that he is God. Rest and wait patiently for him. We've got to overcome this spiritual fatigue, friends. And our guest, Marianne Howard, for some reason, her call has been disconnected three or four times during this program. Not sure why. But we're persisting, waiting patiently. James, the brother of Jesus, said, let patience have its perfect work. That you might be complete, lacking in nothing. Distraction is the enemy of patience. Let's be human beings and not human doings. Let's live now as if we understand truly what the book of Hebrews says that remaineth yet a rest for the people of God. The book Rest Overcoming Spiritual Fatigue, $16 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Become a partner. God bless. Be a blessing. And remember, slow down, examine your habits, be attentive, practice listening, and be intentional. God bless. And rest of the Lord. Let the rest of the Lord comfort your heart. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.